Hey, Bowie, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Really glad you could make it. Um, so would like to start off with you are into, you work at a creative agency and you're very interested in both communication and exploring what can work from a technology perspective, especially what's emerging. Would you explore that with us a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So uh, the company that I work for, Amp Creative, is a creative agency, but our main focus is on adult uh, education, um, enterprise training. A lot of our clients, um, they come to us with a, a problem that they want to solve, not necessarily um, a solution in mind. So for instance, um, a, a big problem that that was at the top of everyone's mind over the past couple of months is how can I continue to train my workforce remotely and and how can I keep them engaged at a, a really high level? A lot of our clients had a lot of in-person coaching and training and they came to us um, and they trusted us to come up with a solution for them that would keep them uh, keep their their employees engaged at that that kind of same in-person level and so a lot of our work recently was really reactionary and taking advantage of the platforms they already had and um, kind of expanding the way that they were using them so that is kind of the most recent example of that but i find that squeezing the juice out of existing platforms makes a lot of sense in terms of getting ramped up more quickly and getting a better ROI on your spend in the technology that you you currently have in your stack. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about taking advantage of something you're already using is a lot of your employees are gonna be somewhat familiar with that already. So the onboarding process to that technology is so much um, shorter. Uh, an opposite example to that, uh, one of our clients, a couple of years back, they, we're getting excited about virtual reality. Um, they they had, uh, let's see, they got access to a, a large number of VR headsets through an acquisition and they wanted to start learning. You know, they wanted to train their employees on VR, but they had no content, they had no experience in virtual reality training. And so they turned to, to us because we, were their trusted partner in, in the training space. And they asked us what the technology would be good for. And we spent uh, a couple months doing research and we talked to experts in the field. And we found that um, virtual reality was an incredible, uh, incredible device for perspective-based uh, immersive experiences. What does perspective-based mean? So perspective is, um, Kind of like a walk in my shoes type of experience where you are transported into someone else's point of view um, and so we we took our expertise that we had from our uh, filmmaking video production background and uh, our powers in storytelling basically narrative film and created a, an immersive video experience uh, an immersive video virtual reality experience that allowed a person to be transported into the perspective 
of someone else as they experience bias in the workplace. And then we use that experience um, as a starting point for meaningful conversation. And so it was part of an in-person uh, small group uh, facilitator-led experience where everyone came into a, a classroom, they were given some context, they put on a VR headset and they experienced things through the eyes and ears of someone as they experienced bias. You can hear that person's internal thoughts and, and dialogue. And then they That's came cool. out of the headset and that was um, kind of the starting point for a meaningful conversation around that, that bias in particular. Um, and the, the facilitators found that running these workshops, they were able to get people to a point of meaningful conversation about either the experience they had just seen or their own personal experiences way faster than, than traditional video or traditional uh, methods. So the facilitators were, were normally, they, they were used to running workshops for several days and, and kind of on the third day after hours and hours of intense workshopping, they were seeing people open up and start to tell these types of personal stories. Whereas after coming out of the goggles and being kind of immersed in someone else's story, they were seeing people brought to a, a place of open communication so much quicker um, than, than the other method, I guess. So we saw that as an incredibly powerful um, tool that, that we wanted to share and obviously a lot of our work is custom one-offs and uh, we're not allowed to share or, or even really talk publicly about, you know, what exactly we created. And so we created our own version of that. Um, and we recently launched it on the Oculus uh, lab, Oculus app lab. And so we're pretty excited about that. You can check that out at perspectives on bias uh, on Oculus lab. Cool. And, and we'll put that in the show notes because I'm sure people want to explore that. It's, it's neat that when you're dealing with emerging technologies, the conversation is often finding use cases and testing. But this is something that sounds like it immediately scales across every organization that needs to train, especially in something that, that we're looking for an empathetic response. Yeah, and and that empathy I think is key. It's um, and it, it taps into kind of the way humans are uh, are built over, you know, before the written word, our history and and the collective learning of the human race was passed down through storytelling, and so you're you're kind of hardwired to um, to tap into stories and and empathize with the characters in, in stories. And so when you can tell a story through, you know, this, this really immersive medium uh, and it can be convincing and, and, you know, you're not pulled out of the story by something that's um, disbelievable or, you know, too, too fancy, you know, too far away from reality, then uh, you can really start to affect the way people empathize with other people and the way people, you know, their perspective, it, you can broaden someone's perspective, uh, hopefully, as far as, okay. it, uh, as far as bias goes. And, 
I mean, really, I guess anything, right? I, I suppose you could use this technology for evil as much as you could use it for good, right? I had not actually considered that, but yes. I, could, I mean, yeah. so yeah. there were... <laughs> can't remember the name of the movie, but it was about the beginning of the Afghanistan war and the psychologists who trained themselves in psychological torture and how to get people to break and give up. That was a special specialization of their education. And yeah, you could apply an immersive reality, which could push the bounds of that. Now I have thought about this in terms of film. So you can treat PTSD by immersing somebody in a traumatic experience, but I can also see where we'll need to be careful putting someone into say a horror game or a horror film or just something else equally traumatic. And the more immersive it is to not actually create, you'll have to have some sort of boundary there to not instill damage into people just from a viewership point. Yeah. Yeah. And that is one of the things that, you know, some of the topics we've thought about using this technology for are, you know, incredibly sensitive. And I think establishing the context before putting someone into the experience is really important because you want to be sure people, um, have an expectation of what they're about to be experiencing, obviously. Um, and sometimes some, some of the people that have experienced our you know, perspectives on bias uh, have, have come out of the headset or you know, pulled the headset off mid-experience even because it was um, too intense for them. And it's not that there's no it's not emotion, that, you know, the camera is static in one place the entire time. It's not like it's in too intense because of the VR. It was too intense because of the context of what was being experienced. It, it hit too close to home for them. But when they came out of the headset, they, we had some conversations that I feel like were really meaningful for me in that I was able to uh, understand their perspective a little bit more and, and why it resonated so well with them. And I mean, I feel really lucky just to be able to have shared this experience with so many people, um, even though it's, it's been so limited. And um, most of this was pre-COVID, just you know, people coming to our facilities and putting a headset on, or uh, we were going around to a bunch of the different virtual reality trade shows, kind of showing it off. And it, it was really incredible because a lot of the times people come out and they say, you know, I never experienced anything like this, but I did experience something similar at work and here's my story. And so I feel, I feel like I got a lot of different people's perspectives, you know, just working on this one project. It's really, really incredible. It is incredible. It, you often read within work related content or the future of work content, how important emotional intelligence is. And one of those key aspects is, or a couple of them, cognitive biases and, and empathy, emotional intelligence. And 
those both play together. I've experienced myself where I said, sure, I'm an empathetic person, but then only in certain situations. And then other times I just didn't get it. And I'd be like, ah, dismissive. But when confronted with a technology like this, that helps you uncover that. Not only is it a single instance, but hopefully it opens up your mind to be prepped for all new experiences and to be open-minded enough to, to say, okay, I'm not going to push back on that right yet, right yet, or if ever, and just understand it as that other person's experience. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting how so many, so many things are like that, like empathy where, you know, you're like, Oh, I I'm, I've worked on this, you know, I, I've read about it and I've learned about this person's experience and, and I think I can understand it, but like, we're all different people and you could never really truly understand how another person is feeling, especially when they're in a situation of, uh, you know, marginalization or, um, and, and so it's, a, it's like a spectrum of having the appreciation of, for someone else and having the appreciation that you are not that person, <laughs> it, you know, there's so many, you can't just not be or be, it's, it's, and everyone is so different that you can only really appreciate and, and be respectful of, right? It's like, you can't just be racist or not racist you have to acknowledge that you are it's it's some capacity and that is is all you can do to move forward i guess right i'm hoping in addition to the current conversation one of the coolest things to come out of covid and spending so much screen time is the elevation of voices and the first expression of that was anger Right. Notice us because of anger. It's damaged and it's hurtful. But with empathy on all sides, that the conversation can be healing, growth-oriented, improving society as a whole, mitigating a lot of the anger, which is a it's a justified emotion, but taken to extremes as with anything, damaging and unhelpful. And so if we have so for me, I'm Cuban. I've had police be racist against me. I've had other Latinos be racist against me. I've had white people be racist against me. Um, but also being half white, that the white male right now, there's a lot of negative emotion. So it doesn't matter what side of my race I'm experiencing, there's somebody angry at me. And, and a lot of people deal with that or just because you're a woman, just because you're black. And so... I can't understand what it's like to be a woman. I can't understand what it's like to be black. I can empathize. But if we can pull in a healthier dialogue in general through these immersive experiences, I think that there would be world shaking. So that's where it circles back to communication, um, having an open conversation with someone who's either like you or not like you. And those open conversations, that that communication, those stories that you tell are what build the bonds 
or build the, the, the connections in your brain that allow you to be less racist, more empathetic, regardless of, of how you feel about um, other people. Um, those types of conversations and voices are what need to be heard, at least in my opinion, or at least that's, that's what all of the experts seem to say that I've talked to about empathy and bias and uh, perspective taking. It's, you know, have those open conversations, those really difficult conversations about really hard topics because they're uncomfortable. That's what makes the world better. <laughs> I, I agreed. Um, still, still harping on the the forgiveness aspect. So, and it, this has been a repeated theme when talking about having an inclusion of a multitude of voices. And I mean, just Western culture, democracy. That's kind of the concept, right? Everybody gets a voice. And to, to open that up, and if we decide to change, because it does have to be a choice, um, then we, if I'm choosing to go, okay, so here was past behavior, here's current behavior, and I now have this experience talking to all of these people, here's a, a common way that we can be together that's different from how I exist now, it's counterproductive to beat myself up or to beat anyone else up for having been and just accept the, the, the new transition and do it together. Cause we're all learning the process. It's new. Yeah. Yeah. The past is the past. You know, what, what you did when you were a dumb kid is not who you are now. Right. I mean, for sure. it's who you, who you were perhaps. And, and you can feel remorse perhaps right and there's nothing wrong with that but there's no yeah there's no reason to yeah beat yourself up about things and especially like hold holding beliefs systems that just don't make sense in today's you know just because their tradition is i mean it's time to innovate right <laughs> It is. It is. It, it always. I mean, it's the evolution of of culture. Static doesn't work. It never has worked for human. It is impossible. Yeah. We 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 grow and influence each other. Based on this conversation, I'm curious to ask you. So, I, I was on the phone with my stepfather, and I said, I I get how you grew up in a particular way. And you were, society told you to be, this is how you act as a man. This is how you act as a white person, this life. And so you do those things and society rewards you, but then society pivots and you're being minimized. And now you're reaching your, the, the end of your time, possibly, or you're at least your later years. And you're told that the majority of what you built yourself up to be as correct is now wrong. Are you seeing that situation? And if so, based on our conversation, what are you, what are your thoughts? So, I mean, yeah, there's definitely a huge societal shift, especially 
in the older generation. And I'm thinking of like my grandfather, who was as you know pretty much as white as they come. He was a Dallas police officer in the '70s, and basically, he the way that he worded it, he's like, "I was a police officer until they stopped. They took all the fun out of it." <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And. And I, you know, he, he never struck me as a racist person at all. You know, he, he actually, he grew up in, in the North and then he moved to Texas in like his college years because he, he got such a kick out of like the Southerners, like, and they, and they of him, he was like, oh, we, we've got a Yankee on the force. His, that's, you know, he would always talk about his, uh, his, his, uh, police chief like oh we we like hired a yankee we got one like uh, that's their but, diversity that was diversity yeah, for them yeah. exactly yeah you know like maybe maybe an italian like right yeah something like that <laughs> Ooh. um but you know i don't it, he's he's always someone who's evolved and changed with the times and I feel like his profession had to do with communication and and um, he did a lot of traveling. And so I feel like because he was always all around the country uh, talking to different people and uh, what was his role? It was, uh, you go and talk to union bosses and like negotiate with them. Can't remember what that's called, but I feel like because his job was to go and, and talk to people and learn their perspectives, he doesn't have that same mentality of like, like because things are changing, like I'm losing some type of power. Um, I think he just sees it as, uh, you know, a new and exciting time, but it's because he has that broader perspective having lived a you know 40 year career traveling around after being a police officer he went to work for a large company negotiating with construction union policies labor relations specialist i think that's what it's called um, but yeah he he, he's really happy. He's, you know, re retired and he lives in Colorado and he has like a muscle car that he drives up in the mountains and then they go hiking up like these really high peaks. And I'm like, that's incredible. I'm like 34 and I can't imagine climbing the mountains they climb. Like my knees couldn't handle it. <laughs> nice. That's uh, cool. They're incredible. I hope I can live up to their standards when I'm <laughs> With the when developing the software that that you have for this use case, how what kind of feedback did you get about playing an internal dialogue for the users? That um, that's something we actually did do a little bit of testing initially. Um, you know, doing some of the the first cuts just before we had the internal dialogue laid in. Um, versus the ones once we did have it in. And for the use case that we were going for, 
it was really important to have that internal dialogue um, to tell that part of the story, especially for people who had never experienced or, or maybe not experienced something to the same degree that we we're trying to portray. Um, it definitely makes it a lot easier <laughs> from a storyteller's perspective uh, when you're trying to put someone in someone else's shoes and you can direct that kind of internal dialogue so precisely. Um, because sometimes it's not always clear how someone might feel when, you know, they're being marginalized kind of thing. You know, in in the, the perspectives on bias that is on, on the app lab right now, it tells the story of a Latina woman, a young Latina woman in the tech industry, uh, you know, sitting down in a important meeting and trying to get her point across uh, something that, you know, a project she's worked really hard on and the people in the meeting are kind of just brushing her off and talking over her. And uh, without that internal dialogue, I think, especially for me, it would have been a little difficult being a white male who would have just, you know, talked over the other white male who was talking, you know, I don't know. It, it, it would have been difficult for me to understand her perspective without that internal dialogue. Having gone through that experience, what, what do you see as the difference between if you were to talk over a guy versus a woman? There's a couple of nonverbals that you get to see that as a male, I've never seen. And as a, uh, talking to many women coming out of the headset, they not, you know, perhaps not quite as blatant as it is in the, in the thing, but, but, um, they have all identified with that type of communication. So from that, that type of, there's a, a nonverbal cue basically where from when, you or for, for, from, fr the from the white male who's talking over. Um, and for me, it's, it's really like, it's a little shocking mm -hmm. <laughs> because I've never experienced, you know, even, even not, I mean, I guess maybe as a kid, you know, when you're like, like mom, 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 and like your your mom's like, be quiet. Like I'm talking to it, an adult here, you know, that type of thing. But to Children see that to be from... seen and not heard, that's exactly. why I heard that a lot. <laughs> exactly. So like, but to see that from someone who's supposed to be, you know, a peer in a in a working environment. Yeah, okay. Yeah, an equal. Uh, yeah. Is um, yeah, it's a little jarring. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to definitely have to check this out. It sounds incredibly powerful. What, um, what are some of the use cases you can talk about where you're also seeing benefit? So um, anecdotally, I can't mention any, any names, but um, I know one of, so originally we deployed it as a small classroom type of um, engagement, but we, we've also done it in much larger workshops. So it's actually, we've 
we've seen that it's incredibly scalable. And we did one workshop and I think it had like 640 um, leaders from around their organization. They had all flew, this was a pre-COVID um, engagement. They all, they all came together um, in a big workshop led by a single facilitator who was an expert in the field. And uh, then we had groups of nine, each with their own kind of um, technician with that, that was in charge of maintaining those nine headsets and making sure everyone got them on properly and, and was, was properly fitted. Um, and, and so we had a, a really, really successful 600 and like a huge number of leaders go through this, uh, this workshop together and um, everyone came out and had that incredible experience of like immediately diving into these small group discussions in their little pods of nine um, about what they just experienced about their personal experiences uh, and that was uh, a really incredible experience for that facilitator that was that was the the big like game changer for that person where they were like oh I, I like don't ever want to use traditional video and we could put people through this type of an experience. So, so the, the efficacy of the training seems to be outsized when leveraging an immersive technology like VR as opposed to traditional methods. Yeah. And, it, and it's not a, you know, a bandaid across the board. I'm not going to say like every single person learns better in VR, but for this use case in particular, where being immersed in an experience can make it that much more impactful, I feel like it makes a lot of sense to take advantage of the strength where, you know, the strength of the technology. Being that we're, we're early on in this, what do you see some of, what are some of the evolutions that are closer to coming to reality? A lot of the stuff that we've been doing, we've been using uh, 180, 3D 180 immersive video because it captures one of the highest quality that you can capture of a real life scenario. Um, but it is limiting in that you can't walk around an immersive video, right? Like it's not six off, it's three off. So for the types of training we're doing where we're trying to put a lot of people through heads through an experience it makes sense to have them in a seated type of experience or even standing stationary type of experience where you don't really need to take advantage of the room scale um, features of virtual reality but one thing that i think is going to be the next kind of big game changer in the space is volumetric capture combined with really really realistic game engine environments like Unreal 5. Which just came out. Yeah, that they're talking about. Can, so, you, can you give a quick overview of volumetric capture? So volumetric capture is where uh, a person or object is, is kind of surrounded by cameras and then captured not only uh, 2D, in the color space, but also 3D in the, um, I guess, 
volumetric space. It, so these a, are sort of like a, a 3D ring. model. Yeah, you end up with a 3D model of whatever it is that you're you're trying to capture. So um, we did some work with the Samsung Innovation Lab. Uh, they're actually right down the street, down here in uh, just north of Dallas, and they've got a pretty incredible volumetric capture rig. It's like 127 cameras that also give you that 3D depth data. And so you stand in the middle of this room that's all painted green. And then whatever you do, you're given a, a 3D model of um, after they run it through their supercomputer network and process it for like a week. <laughs> Having um, a background in traditional data and moving into where video is pushing into how are you managing the storage? Yeah, so because we have a background in video production, we already had a, a pretty robust um, data, what's it called, data archive, I guess, where we've got about 100 terabytes of tape deck. So offloading stuff to our archive is pretty easy. Managing the data, the raw data when we were shooting was a little more intense. I think one of the days we shot like four terabytes of immersive video. So we had, we just bought a lot of hard drives. <laughs> um, yeah, once we got those drives back into our, uh, our studio and, and got them into our, our tape system, that wasn't as much of an issue, but yeah just managing all the raw data coming out of the camera. We had a team of people, that was their only job. <laughs> it's a lot of, lot of work. Um, yeah. Is there, I've noticed this trend of starting on-prem, pushing up to the cloud, and now there's this across business. Once you get that down pat, there's this return back to on-prem or some high, sort of hybrid model. Are you seeing with the people that you work with or in your own work, is there a role that cloud plays? So, yeah, I think like for, for our offices, at least, you know, for the data that is private and we can't put on the cloud, basically we have, um, we have our own servers that host it. Everything else, you know, especially in this remote world is, you know, we're using SharePoint or some type of cloud-based service so that if a computer were to go down, you know, everything is, is backed up and it just makes sense. Like why worry about that level of security or that level of loss when you have these incredible networks out there and it it, it kind of seems like everything is going that direction of processing something in the data center and then streaming the result to the end user like a terminal um, and i don't see why why not you know it's it makes sense it's more efficient to to do it that way so i could see that being a, a major trend especially as wearables become more and more uh, feature rich, I'll say. What are you thinking about there? What's, what is that? What are you seeing some of the advantages? Well, um, 
don't know. Do you wear a, a smartwatch? I, you know yeah. what? I, I do not. Um, I have smart everything all throughout my house and that's the one, one device I haven't purchased yet. Yeah. So I, I got a smartwatch a couple of years ago and at first I took advantage of all like the little like extra things it could do, like messaging my friends, like on it that had other smartwatches, which is like, it's not really an, a new feature. I could have just text them the thing, you know, but like since the first one at this point, I really, I just kind of like use it to look at the time or like, Oh, I got a text message, like without having to pull out my phone, but I still wear it because it's kind of fun and I don't hate the way it looks, but I don't have smart glasses yet. But when there's a display that's a high, high enough quality, I'm sure I will like, and I, I think a lot of other people will too. Like once it kind of crosses that level to where it's like, not just a dorky looking gadget, but kind of looks nice and people like, start to consider it a fashion accessory, then it will become you know, a tool that people use. And there's no reason to not take advantage of those tools. So. When, when glasses are aesthetically pleasing and I don't, the, the, the usability is high enough to where I don't feel like a guinea pig, that's yeah. something I'm highly interested in. But it's interesting on the smartwatch thing, it's, it, that's not the first time I've heard just the benefit of not having to pull out the phone, that one, maybe two seconds savings to just look seems to be worth it for a lot of people. Yeah, I think it also has to do with um, like if you're at an in-person social thing, it's it's kind of a statement to like pull out and look at your phone, your likes kind of disengaging with the person that you're talking to as compared to a quick like glance down at your wrist where, you know, yeah, maybe you're checking the time. Like that does say something, right? That it's all, every action you take is communicating something, right? So good point. Yeah. But there's it with current, the current social structure and milieu, the, though I don't have the experience, I, I can see where if I go, we're talking right now and I'm like, oh, okay. Versus, okay. The shortened time is more polite as an interruption yeah. than right. having something that puts a, a barrier between us. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of the big difference for me, I think. <laughs> okay. So if I'm going to be more polite, then I'm going to have to get a smartwatch. I just, um, I've been, I've had iPhones, I've had Androids. I mean, or maybe you just don't check your check text message while you're trying to have a conversation with someone. You could also that's valid. That. That's valid. <laughs> it's interesting I, that it almost ties into our earlier conversation of emotional intelligence to not allow the technology to create a desire, or if you feel the desire to let it pass through instead of having to react to the alert to see, unless of course you're waiting on something important, you're a doctor and you know, you're on call, whatever that happens to be, there's context, yeah. but to constantly have the machine tell you what to do. Well, and then also 
like in today's smart home world, right? That notification that you get might be someone going through your backyard or something like it could be a safety concern. So, yeah. you know, I don't, I'm, I don't try to judge people when they check their notifications, you know, it's empathy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, more and more it's, I mean, it's good data, right? Um, that is, so there, I guess there is going to be a balance there as, as IOT explodes and the speed increases as 5g actually reaches penetration and the speeds are, are high enough. And, and we do have that kind of information floating at us, the smart glasses, it won't be just alerts yeah. when we're living in a, in an AR world where almost all the time we have some sort of digital overlay. Imagine how, what, what's considered polite is really going to change because yeah. we're going to, we've gotten away from glass holes. It'll become normal, but then what's normal within that new culture. Yeah. So that actually, so in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be on an AR talk show and there's a couple of people doing like live augmented reality, but this, this one's pretty cool. And they're taking advantage of um, a simpler version of that volumetric capture that I was talking about earlier, where it's basically a webcam that has a LIDAR sensor built in as well, or a depth sensor, not necessarily LIDAR, excuse me. Um, but it sits on top of the computer and and there it gives you kind of the front half with a single, or you can hook up, I think, three of them. But the incredible thing is it does it in real time. And so there, there's a presenter presenting live in augmented reality. And then I think the plan is for me to join uh, just via normal webcam because I don't have one of these uh, AR enabled cameras. Is that the same company where it almost looks like a mirror and it presents them within a frame? Um, so that is what it would look like if you were looking at it on their frame device, but no, it's a different company that makes the, I think the camera is made by Microsoft actually. It's like a connect camera. Okay, cool. Yeah. What's, um, if you can share, plug the show, yeah. what's, what's the yeah, show? Yeah, I think it's called Blink Soul. Yeah, Blink Soul Talk Live. Blink? It's like E-L-I-N-X-L, Blink Soul. Links will talk live and it's uh, an AR talk show. So I'm going to be on it in a couple of weeks. I'm pretty excited to check it out. Cool. We'll, we'll throw that up on the screen as well. On your, your LinkedIn profile, it talks about you being the go-to person to see if something technically is going to work. What, Explain, explain your interest uh, there, the, the value of going through and figuring things out. Yeah, for sure. So um, a lot of the times, like I said, our clients will come to us with a problem and not necessarily know what the solution is. And so then sometimes my job will be to find a solution that really applies well to that problem. and test it thoroughly so uh, that's pretty exciting because sometimes it involves uh you know experimenting with augmented reality virtual reality 
uh, streaming solutions. One, one project we worked on a couple of years back was for um, Sunkist. They came to us to create the media for uh, an advertisement that they were creating for Times Square. And that was pretty cool because they wanted uh, soda to be poured on one side of a building and then have the stream kind of wrap around and then land in a glass on the other side. And that so it's cool. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun to kind of work on and uh, try to get, get the proportions right so that no matter where you were seeing the building from, it, it looked right, you know. Uh, and also working out the mechanics of, of how, to, how to make a can in the studio that we were trying to capture just pour soda continuously into a glass that never got full. You know, that was like, uh, kind of got a bunch of uh, tubing you know, experience with, with aquarium tubing. Fun. <laughs> uh, it, random story. I was watching a um, comedy show where just, you know, you, you trick people and I think they actually had this as part of an experiment as well, where it was a bunch of people eating soup, but on one person they had piping where the soup never ended. And the person just kept eating soup and eating soup. It was, it was pretty impressive from a, uh, a mental perspective. Yeah. How we can trick the brain. I, I don't know what I would do if my soup bowl was just never ending, you know, <laughs> man, I thought it was getting somewhere here. So the, the use case, and, and I've heard this quite a bit with people that have experience with VR, that it's an emotional connection. Where does AR plug into? I mean, I definitely see our driverless cars. You have the overlay on the window that gives you more productivity um, right now in some cars you get the, or with the phone to get better directions. Um, is it is it just more of a, a tool? Where's where's AR play into everything? Well, when we talk about wearables and the idea of you know checking your notifications without creating that barrier, you know maybe as I adjusted my glasses there, I had just cleared my notifications, right? So there's that aspect of it, and then there's also. I guess I'm trying to think of the different ways that we've used it for clients. And I can't really talk specifically, obviously, but I would say the one, one use case was um, part of an onboarding experience. It was a, you know, a very small part because one of the things that we like to do is create kind of full ecosystems to solve a problem because a lot, you know, humans learn in so many different ways a lot of the times what works for one person isn't gonna work for another. And so one, one portion of this onboarding experience was an AR um, enabled uh, scavenger hunt type of thing where you had to go around and find all of the uh, team leads offices and, and kind of scan their uh, AR enabled poster that we put on their doors normally when when you the, the new people are doing this onboarding and they they have to go around and meet with the team leads and if they're there then they'll just talk to them in person but if they're not there 
this AR enabled thing gave them a kind of a volumetric way to tell their little story. Um, so it's not as if you could meet them in person, but it's a little better than your traditional kind of video. And I would say that is kind of the, the most emotionally intelligent application of AR we've used so far. Maybe, maybe that's, that's, that's where it's at, right? So where VR, it's meant to immerse. You, you mentioned having proper fitting, so you're transported too. But mm -hmm. augmented reality is a digital overlay for meat space. That's an enablement tool. Yeah, it's additive as added, opposed yeah. to um, productive, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, in one sense, you're, you're, with VR, you destroy one reality and replace it with another. Mm -hmm. With augmented reality, you keep the current existence and I don't want to improve upon it might not be the, you, yeah. you enable it, you enable it. Yeah, exactly. And you can enable, and you can enable more interactivity, which is really cool. So one of the things that we've done internally as an example, uh, you know, we created a, an AR app that it's initial use case was just to augment our business cards. And this was three or four years ago. We all had business cards. You point our phone app and it pops up and it's got all our contact information. You can touch the phone number to call a person or text them. Um, and then on the other side, it, sh it had a little video player that unfolded and then started showing uh, a demo reel of the different projects that we worked on. Well, but, that'd be good. Like oh, if, yeah. if it's connected to watch and you can kind of, oh, yeah, and it's like easy to use. Pop it right up. Yeah, yeah. That'd be great. So the other thing that, you know, net, once we created that app, we started to add features to it. So when you walk in the lobby of our studio space and you look to the right, we've got a, kind of a company photo that we did uh, for 2018. And when you hold up our app, the people on the, um, on the picture kind of pop out and come towards you. And you realize that it's actually a diorama and you can move your phone to go in and out and see that there are people and pets and kind of funny gags and Easter eggs that are hidden layered behind the, the other people that are, that are covering them. So if you zoom in on me, you can see I actually have a slice of pizza in my hand and there's a, an open pizza box that's kind of hidden behind the person right in front of me. And uh, there's a couple of the pets of some of the people. Uh, and it's all very stylized and it looks like a really nice kind of Vogue shoot from the front. But then when you zoom in, you see some people aren't wearing pants and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's pretty fun. But it, that is a great example of augmented reality enabling you know, more interactivity, more features, more things that you, know, you wouldn't see with the naked eye which the that improves the user experience the more you can pull them in yeah what um what are the advantages for companies that start thinking through how they can can use this technology as opposed to people who are in a wait and see mode i think um i think people that 
that have that outlook to look ahead and and see you know the new devices that are coming down the line and what's going to be popular are going to have the advantage of being ready to take advantage of those strengths earlier on so for example the you know our our client that that uh, that really went after that bias training is going to be positioned to take advantage of all of those strengths way before their competition. And I feel like that's probably going to be the same in a lot of different cases. I know we're already seeing that a lot in the industrial sector with HoloLens integration and um, people being able to look into machinery and see, oh, this part of it's overheating or, you know, we need to add more coolant, something, you know. Um, there, there's been a really high level of uh, efficiencies and um, also, I mean, also in the safety space, it's like if someone's wearing an augmented reality headset and they start to go into a, you know, an area that's dangerous, you can, make that really, really clear as opposed to, you know, just having a marking on the wall, right? For sure. I mean, just the entire, well, I, I often think about manufacturing for repair, for training, um, it, it, especially if you're in those hazardous zones and you can take somebody that doesn't have years and years of experience, they're newer, one, you have those people retiring and that mind share is really difficult. But if you mm -hmm. can apply that to an AR program that can ramp up that person to keep them safe as well as keep the business efficient, and then that allows it to continue to grow rather than constantly regress and pull back up, the advantages are monumental. Yeah, yeah. And that part of, um, part of the industrial application that I see being really big that probably isn't being taken advantage of right now is that that generate like finding a way to capture that knowledge gap digitally and easily like it if the tech if the wearable technology could be advanced to a state where you know a, a person could just start recording like oh you know here's the way that i do this wire crimp right and they do the wire crimp and then you know do the install and then they save that and if if those if that action could be recorded in you know really high quality 3d so that generations from now someone can watch that playback you know i feel like that could be a huge uh, game changer in the because all of the industrial people that i talk to are you know they're that's their biggest thing is new talent it doesn't have the experience of old talent and old talent isn't transferring to new talent yes so i don't know how to solve that other than to make it easier to capture that knowledge <laughs> and it even outside of the immediate application from a historical perspective um, i don't know if it's been solved for but the last time i was reading about it we didn't understand how ancient Egypt, we didn't understand how they put together some of their colors and we didn't, and we didn't understand their mummification process, but what happens? So fast forward 10,000 more years of humanity and being able to capture all of that history 
in how things were done or having the opportunity to revisit and really understand from the past what you can apply at that future present. That's, that's mind blowing as well. Yeah. And that actually, it reminds me of uh, a project that we, um, actually, I think, yeah, later on today, I'm going to be going to, uh, to load up some VR headsets. We worked on a project with a, just a little, a local train museum um, to document their rail car. They've got this old electric rail car that was used in the 1800s. Um, it ran on electricity, ironically, and serviced the North Texas area. Um, and the rail car itself, uh, being that it was built in the 1800s, is, is not wheelchair compliant, unfortunately. And so they wanted to, to document it and create a, a virtual reality experience that would allow any users who were unable to physically get into the rail car to experience it from the inside. And so we were really excited about it because it gave us the opportunity to capture that little piece of Texas history and kind of tell the stories that, that um, some of the, the historical society had in a virtual space that is now digital and can be experienced anywhere by anyone and can go on to, you know, be an experience for a long time, hopefully. That's a loop back to the beginning of our conversation where inclusivity has become good business. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The more, the more people that you can pull in and capture their attention and, and have, a, they have a great experience with you. That's, that's just a win all the way around. And by yeah, not leaving sure. people out, you win. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, we're a women owned business and, and uh, one of the things we're doing uh, on our studio side, I think it's happening on Saturday. Uh, we have got a program that we're working with women in film Dallas. They're, they're bringing in some people. There's a, uh, in film production, there's a position that's traditionally called best boy electric, which is kind of sexist, <laughs> but we're, we're having an event called Best Gal Electric, and uh, it's sponsored by Women in Film Dallas and Amp Studios, and uh, we're just uh, bringing in a bunch of people and showing them the ins and outs of uh, you know how to be an electrician in on a on a film set, and so we've got a bunch of production equipment and a bunch of really really nice lighting gear and we're just going to show everyone how to use it and, and try to expand that knowledge for the local community so pretty excited about that event on saturday that cycle of of languages is interesting when i went through university we had a guest lecturer and she asked the students if girl was a bad word and i was like no we use it all the time and she said when she was coming up in her youth culture that it was a no-no. And then now you, you're not going to call anybody a girl unless they are, or maybe between two women, Hey girl, but yeah. there's a little faux pas there. And boy, not only does it also have a racist connotation. Now mm -hmm. I personally don't want to be called a boy. 
So no. that that flow of of words over time and their meaning and the the importance, that's 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 cool. And staying, I mean, that's pop culture. So any business staying tied into the happenings and responding to that with authenticity. That makes sense. And it's, it's, it's good. Like allow people to feel good without holding on to, you know, how things were. There's one of my favorite sales quotes that I share with my friends that are in that side of the business is when you're green, you grow, when you're ripe, you're rotten. So just be willing to, to change and pivot and evolve as you move along. I like that. And I like really eat in on that with, on with authenticity. That's so important. I think it's because if you're not communicating authentically, then you're not being open and there's no progress happening. Right. So especially if it's an uncomfortable conversation, especially. Yeah. So Let's, let's end on a, a useful tip for people. You mentioned fitting the headset properly. When people put on their headset, what is, what is that process? So I think it depends on which headset, um, which headset you're wearing. Um, a big thing is making sure that it's, uh, you know, the lenses are aligned with your glasses, with your eyes, uh, depending, and making sure that, you know, your, your pupillary distance is adjusted properly if you've got that adjustment on your headset and then making sure it's it's comfortable you don't want it too tight too loose because that you know it, it might feel good for the first 15 30 seconds if it's too tight but then it'll get old quick and anything that you can do to minimize um kind of taking a a viewer or a, a user out of the experience, out of the immersive experience is good. So, and that, and that I think is the biggest thing is making sure the headset is properly adjusted and fit to each person to make sure they have a good experience and whatever it is that they're experiencing. Is there a perfect seal around the face or is there some light liquid leakage for most people? What would they expect there? Uh, I think, most of the headsets these days are designed so that you have some light leak, leak at the bottom and, and you can have some, if you look straight down kind of past your nose, generally you can see a little bit, you know, unless you've got an aftermarket kind of a face gasket that prevents that. And that's done by design so that you can kind of look down and see that you're not walking somewhere that you're not safe <laughs> when when i got the the oculus 2 it, it it was interesting i love how you have that it develops a safety perimeter and lets you know when you bump mm -hmm. into that invisible barrier and it still surprises me when i find how much i've actually moved when it feels like i haven't gone anywhere yeah yeah the guardian system is pretty awesome and i think that there's some cool features you can enable where um, you can set it up to so that you have a desk or a couch in your in your VR environment so that you can actually like see someone where you are, I guess. Um, it's pretty cool. So Bo, what's what's the best way for people to connect with you if they want to pull you in or ask you to join another show or if they have questions about maybe how they get started in their career, if you're willing to share that, 
what's the best way to, to touch base with you online? For sure. So you can reach me on LinkedIn. That's, that's easy. I try to check that once every day, every few days, if not, um, or email me, uh, Bowie at ampcreative.com. Fantastic. Uh, this was, I really was surprised. I was expecting the beginning of our conversation to kind of get into some of the, maybe the weeds a little bit. And we ended up really talking a lot about culture and in our own perspectives and experiences there, which makes sense considering we were talking about the platform and what it does for people. So I'm glad to have shared that with you. Thank you for sharing that with, with me and, and everybody that's listening and watching. Really appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. This is a pleasure.